Welcome to the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, your host. I'm joined by today. Trevor Kidd, yay, I'm here again. You all miss me. We missed you. Thank you. Deeply heart in our hearts. Makes me feel good. In our heart of hearts. Yeah. That's pumping all the blood of the D&D brand. Okay, no, it. starting to get weird. <laughs> it wasn't weird before. I don't know I don't know if we need to talk about D&D blood everywhere. So That's well. I mean, it's a big thing, especially in this thing we're going to talk about That's today. That's true. Blood's kind of important. It is. It is. Kind of uh, a big deal. Yeah, we recently announced uh, Curse of Strahd. Curse of Strahd. A new adventure uh, set in Barovia. Uh, for Dungeons and Dragons, uh, we're gonna be talking to some of the creators and people uh, behind uh, that adventure. Uh, and but first, I want to let you know uh, about uh, some other things we announced. Uh, the Dungeon Masters Guild is an awesome place. It's a marketplace where you can go and uh, upload your D and D creations, adventures, uh, characters, monsters, sidetracks set in the Forgotten Realms. Yes, uh, and of course, other uh, vanilla uh, fantasy settings as well. But the big fun thing is being able to, to write something set in Waterdeep and, and Baldur's Gate and all of those uh, great locations using the uh, peoples and cultures of the Forgotten Realms. Uh, so I'm really excited. There's tons of stuff up there already, oh, yeah. uh, but I'm really excited to see what, what people do for it. And if you're interested in learning more about that, you can listen to last week's podcast uh, that we had with uh, Mike Merles and Chris Lindsay. And we discussed uh, the ins and the outs. And then, of course, we also had a, 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 an Ask Me Anything on Reddit, which uh, went really well. <laughs> yeah, you can also, if the, the site's just dmsguild.com, so dmsguild.com, so uh, go check it out. Uh, lots of cool stuff there already. And yes, create your own stuff and put it up there. We, we, we love you. We love your stuff. Nice. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, it, it, if you like this, please go ahead and rate the podcast uh, on iTunes. Uh, give us some rates and ratings. Uh, people have been saying some really nice things and some really constructive things about how to improve it, so uh, uh, it's always helpful. We read it all. And uh, uh, it's it's we love it we love it so more more feedback is better and of course you can always uh, uh, reach out to us on Twitter we'll give our Twitter handles Twitter handles later on in the podcast not not Twitter handers we don't we don't, we don't do those <laughs> we don't do Twitter handies not at all <laughs> uh, so uh, with that as a wonderful segue we're going to uh, introduce our guests uh, so first we have in uh, the office with us here Mr Chris Perkins hello Chris greetings Earthlings yay. Thank you so much for, for staying quiet through that. that um, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, staying quiet and then like sniffing his pen and getting high over there. That's exactly. what's really going on, people. <laughs> this podcast just got 100% better. <laughs> yes. We're sniffing glue in the parking lot. It's yeah. it's going to be fun. Uh, Kids, also, don't do that. Also, uh, we're going to be calling in uh, a very special person, Mr. Tracy Hickman. So, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, you can do an audio call there, Ryan. Uh, we'll, we'll talk all about uh, his uh, consulting for Curse of Strahd. Hello, Greg. Here we are. Hello, Tracy. How are you? Good to see you. Yes, We're... Thank you. It's good to be heard. <laughs> to, yes, right, exactly. Not not see you, perhaps, but uh, uh, soon. Uh, you have, I'm, of course, Greg. Uh, we have Trevor Kidd. Hello. Hi. And Mr. Chris Perkins on the line. Hello, Tracy. Oh, Chris, it's good to hear your voice. <laughs> you as well. Thank you for joining me. And thanks well, for taking the time to uh, to talk to us about uh, Curse of Strahd. We're all really excited about it. We uh, we announced it just a little while ago. Uh, this podcast is in the future, which is always hard to wrap your brain around. Yes. We always talk about well, being in the future, so you guys ever understand why we have a hard time sometimes? Because we're really like a month ahead. We're living in like two separate realities. That's yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Merlin yes. would be proud. These are the days of future past. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> 
So, uh, Chris, why don't you uh, start us off and, and, and uh, let our listeners know how you started thinking about Curse of Strahd and uh, how you uh, arrived at the awesome idea to bring uh, Tracy Hickman in to talk about it. Oh, sure. When we released the, th- uh, the fifth edition core rule books, um, uh, we basically say in those books that the D&D is a huge multiverse and that all of our worlds are interconnected in weird and wonderful ways. And up to this point, we had um, focused primarily on the Forgotten Realms and developing that for fifth edition. And the time just felt right to go out beyond the Forgotten Realms and explore some of the other places where D&D can happen. And uh, it is a widely known fact that um, I'm a big fan of nostalgia. Hmm. And uh, if you were to ask 10,000 gamers to give you their top 10 list of the best D&D adventure experiences ever, I guarantee you the Ravenloft adventure from 1983 would be in probably everybody's top three. And uh, it's always been a favorite of mine. It uh, transformed what I, th- my expectations and assumptions of D&D the first time I read it. It, uh, it was not like any other D&D adventure that had come before it. And I really felt, uh, that we needed to reintroduce a whole new generation of gamers to this classic antagonist, Strahd von Zarovich. Mm. And Tracy, what was it like for you to, uh, uh, to revisit uh, the adventure that you'd written so long ago? I know Chris had told me that you have uh, continually run Ravenloft adventures uh, uh, since, you, since you wrote the first adventure. Oh, absolutely. We uh, actually had been running Ravenloft adventures uh, uh, usually on Halloween, um, ever since um, we first uh, designed it back in 1979, I believe, 79, 78, 79. My wife and I had, uh, um, my wife actually is the one who introduced me to Dungeons and Dragons, um, which is, uh, you know, a little unusual, um, especially back in those days. Um uh, she likes to tell the story of, of uh, we'd only been married um, a short time when a girlfriend of hers had introduced her to D&D, and she was so taken with the game that she forgot to pick me up from work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I had no idea where she'd gone. I, I knew she was with her friend uh, at a local playhouse and uh, rode my bicycle across town to find her. Um, really quite prepared to be upset. And, um, you know, I mean, we hadn't been married that long and already she'd forgotten I existed. <laughs> the, uh, uh, so I, when I got there, she said to me, um, you've, uh, I've just played the most amazing game, incredible game. And I, I thought, okay, well, I, I, I like simulation games I did at the time. And, and uh, so um, what, uh, what does the board look like? Um, she said, well, uh, there really isn't one. I said, fine, uh, what are the rules? And she said, well, they're kind of flexible. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was the stupidest thing. <laughs> um, but she had, uh, she had a lot of faith in the game. And so um, for my birthday that year, actually, she bought me um, what we now think of as the Blue Basic set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as, as many of you know, the Blue Basic set uh, had not the greatest cover art, 
Um, but uh, and the it was called the Blue Basic because the rule book was cover was printed in blue ink. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that was because they could only afford one color for the cover. <laughs> none and, of that crazy four color printing. That's oh no, too none, no, no. That was way way far advanced for our <laughs> for our budgets at the time, and so. Um, they used blue ink so that it wouldn't at least it would have some kind of color yeah. on the cover, um, uh, and it came with dice. My favorite part was it came with dice. Um, nobody made polyhedral dice back then, and so the dice that came with it included a crayon, so that you could color in the numbers. I remember um, that. Yeah, there was so just, there was just indented, right, and then the, the wax. Yeah, the it crayon. just had the indention. The wax, the crayon would fill it in. I still have that set of dice. In fact, the, my uh, I have mine too. My D twenty is so well used; it's practically round. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have one of those too. They'll roll forever. And you'll yeah. never get the number out of them. <laughs> I'm like, I think that's a seven or a twelve. It, it's, it's really it's close to both, to and the yeah. table's yeah. flat. It's not cocked. It's just the way the die works. Just, just pick one. <laughs> so um, uh, she gave, and she couldn't wait till my birthday to give it to me. So she gave it to me on Halloween instead. Nice. And that uh, immediately regretted it because she became a D and D widow. I caught my imagination took fire, and I ran out that night, got my first set of graph paper, and was <laughs> making dungeons immediately. I remember distinctly sitting in the back of my motivational psychology class. Which was the least motivating class I ever, <laughs> and uh, creating uh, the first level of my dungeon um, at the time, which was based on uh, Lord of the Rings, because what else did I have? Right. Yeah, and and so she got me into it. As I, the, one of the first games that I played with anyone else was a game with uh, John Scott Clegg, a friend of ours uh, here in Utah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I uh, and I actually tell about this event um, uh, in the uh, introduction to Curse of Strahd, right? Where we we turn this corner and here was a vampire, and I know he was just on some wandering monster table here that John had put together, and uh, but I thought, where did you come from? <laughs> I mean, you're a vampire for crying out loud! Yeah. yeah. You should have like some enormous castle here and, and an entire setting built around you. <laughs> mm. You are not a random encounter. <laughs> uh, and as my wife and I talked about that, that became the genus for Ravenloft. Um, we studied vampire lore uh, very, very carefully. I actually read Bram Stoker's Dracula uh, to my wife out loud, although eventually that turned into readings in the afternoon because uh, she it got her too frightened at night. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> and, um, and we studied vampiric lore and the origins of it and uh, created Castle Ravenloft um, as, as, as a setting specifically for uh, this character, for Strahd von Zorovich. And, um, and, uh, and started running it every Halloween. Um, for our our family and for our good friends. So uh, you know, as as Chris mentioned, this is always one of the the adventures that people point to as a, a kind of the seminal works, especially in the early '80s uh, for Dungeons and Dragons. What is it about Strahd and and, and the setting uh, that has resonated for people for you know 
37 plus years. Well, it, interestingly, that it was that very question uh, was the very first thing that um, uh, Chris Perkins and his team and I addressed when we got together. Hmm. Um, we we wanted to talk about what made what made Ravenloft um, connect so strongly with the D and D audience. Um, I think. Uh, and I think the answers that we came up with are very much reflected in the text uh, that that Chris and his team put together. It is uh, it is very much uh, the Ravenloft that Laura and I envisioned, um, and expands beautifully on the Ravenloft Laura and I envisioned. But to answer to answer your question, at least in part, I think foremost it's um, it is a cautionary and tragic tale mm-hmm. how not to be uh, a vampire how, how well <laughs> uh, or, or more in from my perspective more of what a vampire actually is mm. um, uh, we talked actually we we research we, we talked about this at length when uh, I visited Chris and the team um, spent a week with them actually um, dealing with all of this mm-hmm. and um, uh, vampire lore, as the gentleman vampire, um, as we know him, most people think of that as coming from Bram Stoker. Um, but Bram Stoker, to a large measure, took it from um, Dr. Polidori, who was um, Lord Byron's physician. Nice. And um, it was on that, uh, that same outing that uh, Mary Wollstonecraft created Frankenstein, um, everybody that weekend was asked to do a ghost story. Mm. And um, Dr. Polidori wrote something called uh, The Vampire, um, uh, or The Vampire. Right. Uh, and he wrote it, um, people have subsequently thought, but he wrote it very much as uh, something of a condemnation of Lord Byron. Um, because the vampire that he wrote about was a predator, um, and most particularly uh, a predator on women. Mm-hmm. And to a great extent, we see that also in, um, in Bram Stoker's work, um, which is a, is a kind of a, a brilliant, um, fantastic examination of, uh, of physical passion as opposed to social mores. And the vampire there is very much a hedonist, and he's also very much a predator. Uh, he he doesn't he doesn't like women. He preys on women, right. and is very much what we like to term in um, in uh, feminine mythology a bluebeard archetype. And so, very much to me, uh, Ravenloft follows that same line in that it's a cautionary tale. Um, uh, more recently, uh, vampires have um, been inaccurately portrayed. Maybe I could say. <laughs> uh, well, they, they don't they don't sparkle and they're not like super nice and have a normal life and everything's well, hunky dory. And see, this is <laughs> and this math. for me is the great lie uh, because what what that does is it takes a cautionary feminine archetype that cautions women against. Um, abusive relationships 
and gives them the exactly wrong message. Mm-hmm. It says to them, it's okay to love the monster. It's okay to become the monster. It's, uh, if you love the monster enough, they will change. <laughs> oh, dear. Right? All of, which, all of which I think we all recognize as, um, as all of the arguments that an abused wife makes. Right. And so um, for me, um, this, this was very important that Ravenloft portray the monster as a monster, that, that Ravenloft remain a cautionary tale, and that, um, and yes, that Strad von Zarevich never sparkles. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, that probably wasn't in your mind back in the day when you wrote this, <laughs> but now we, we, we do have to put that little footnote someplace. And by the way, Strad does not sparkle. Yeah, does I not think. sparkle. And in fact, eats anyone who sparkles for breakfast. <laughs> yes, we yes. should put that on the back of the book, I think. <laughs> well, I, and, and I, 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 as you can tell, I feel very, very strongly about this. My wife and I both feel very, very strongly about yeah. this. If you the, look at the original adventure, just the way it was structured, after the title page of the adventure, the first thing you see is a spread on Strahd von Zarovich. It's very clear when that adventure was written in 1983 that everything that's happening in the story is revolving around this villain. Mm-hmm. Um, other adventures, it was always the location that was the star or uh, just, you know, um, uh, the, the plot that got you into the dungeon with Ravenloft. Everything orbits around Strahd. Mm-hmm. Um, everything hangs off of him. Mm-hmm. And you think that's true no, for uh, Curse of Strahd? Was that very important? Oh, that's absolutely him? true for Curse of Strahd. Uh, when we sat down with Tracy and talked about how we can take the original story and just kind of build it outward, um, we made sure that if we ever introduced a new character to the story, their whole reason for being in the story ties back to Strahd. If they... if we, we wouldn't put anything in the story that, we wouldn't put any character in Curse of Strahd whose life hadn't been basically torn apart by Strahd. Mm. We talked a little bit about, well, we talked a lot, actually, which is great, about you know where Strahd comes from as a vampire, what that means uh, as far as the story building. How is Strahd different from like your Bram Stoker uh, Dracula? Like, how is he different from what people think of as their typical, typical vampire? Well, I think in, to a great extent, um, uh, Strad von Zarevich is um, uh, deeper and more interesting than Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, it's actually something of a um, uh, something of a, a wonder to Laura and I um, when we watched um, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, mm-hmm. which was which was made. Uh, Long after Ravenloft was published, and and it was remarkable to us as we were watching um, this version of Dracula that uh, the story sounded awfully familiar. Um, uh, and the more we got into it, uh, the more we realized that it was just lifted from Ravenloft. <laughs> Interesting. We're going to call uh, Francis and be like, hey, so... Um, <laughs> like, uh, what about this? Uh, <laughs> but, but at the time, I can also remember thinking, isn't it interesting that Coppola, who was a storyteller, felt compelled to approach his vampire um, as we had? 
um, that that the vampire had to everything had to evolve revolve around the vampire, and that the vampire's story was what was critical to making uh, the story function. Um, in, in keeping with um, very much the themes that that were developed in Curse of Strahd, um, when you know when when we say that everything revolves around Strahd. Um, uh, he, he says so in his uh, in his tome. I was just looking at it and reminded so strongly of it. Mm. I am the ancient. I am the land. And every everything is about him. So uh, the Curse of Strahd adventure, uh, you know, the original uh, Ravenloft adventure was only 32 pages and concentrated mm-hmm. around Castle Ravenloft. But in Curse of Strahd, we have a much larger area uh, to Correct. explore. Yeah. We've absorbed the essence of the original adventure and preserved that uh, as much as possible. All we're doing is we're um, showing you more <laughs> damage that Strahd has caused. Uh, we're, 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 we're sort of uh, pushing the mists out a little bit and seeing more of the people who have been either victimized by or abandoned by this man who was once a great man. Um, he could have been potentially a magnificent figure of history, but he was victimized by his own darkness and uh, couldn't really get over himself and ultimately led all of these people to their doom. And every time someone new comes into the realm, there's the hope that they might change that, and then the despair <laughs> that follows inevitably that, uh, no, they really can't. This guy is, this guy is too, too badly ruined. Mm. Um, but some... So the, the Curse of Strahd, we chose the name because that is sort of what everybody in the realm of Barovia is suffering from the curse of this dark figure who has brought about his own doom and the doom of everybody he really ever comes into contact with uh, through his own choices and actions. But it, we wanted to take the opportunity to introduce some new places, some of which, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Tracy, but uh, one, of the thing, one of the ways we tackled it was, you know, what are some sort of gothic tropes or ideas that maybe, you know, in hindsight could have been put into the 32-page adventure if there had been more space? What feels like it could have been part of the original adventure? Mm-hmm. And we talked about things, Tracy had come up with an idea about this abbey and this abbot figure, and we talked about a windmill, and just other things that have appeared in Gothic fiction or Gothic movies or the Universal films that could be smuggle, snuggled into the Valley of Barovia and then integrated into Strahd's story. And they're all fascinating. Well, in fact, that was, that was one of, the, one of the, my favorite times um, while I was at Wizards of the Coasts uh, with the team mm-hmm. was um, it was sitting back and and exploring outward and finding these new tales that needed to be told and these new characters and new settings that needed to be told all of which you know for me at least felt like they had always been there um, but which now we could examine and, and explore. Uh, and so for several days, actually, as I remember, and, and they were really very heady days for me. <laughs> um, yeah, can you talk a little bit about what it was? I mean, I'm sure our listeners would love to be like a fly on the wall, you know, during these uh, discussions. What was it a little bit like in the room when you guys were, were talking about these things? Well, it was thrilling. I mean, <laughs> we'd, we'd, come together in the, we'd come together in the conference room uh, Wizards of the Coast and and start spinning these tales 
and and these ideas and these concepts and and uh, it became a mental exploration for all of us um, as as we pushed back the fog uh, in Barovia and found what other uh, what other broken things and broken people um, there were in this land mm-hmm. um, and why they were still here. See, this was also a a critical question for me. Um, because uh, in some earlier incarnations, I, uh, I felt like the land was so oppressive, you know, that if I actually had to live here, it's, uh, open a shop here and try to make a living, that I, I'd just as soon kill myself and get it over with. <laughs> but not even that is a release in uh, Barovia sometimes. No. But not even that is a release in Barovia. And so the question was, why are these individuals here? And, um, and and as a place of the damned, if you will, um, it, it it makes more sense. Uh, it's it's not that they can't leave; it's that they won't, mm. um, or that it would be uncomfortable for them to do so. So our uh, our, our players, once they get their hands on Curse of Strahd, uh, uh, will somehow end up in Barovia. Uh, I think you mentioned, you know, that the, from time to time people arrive uh, uh, in Strahd's realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, h- how, how would they get there? How would a good dungeon master kind of spin that yarn and get them in, in here? Well, the, the original adventure had this uh, cool option where you're in a tavern, a great place to start any D&D game, <laughs> and uh, a letter arrives that sort of uh, leads you into the domain. In Curse of Strahd, we just added a few more options for the dungeon master. Some uh, fairly complex, like you're trying to chase this gang of werewolves, this pack of werewolves, and they kind of lead you into the domain. There's another one where you meet the Vistani, uh, who uh, trace their origins back to the original adventure as well, and they lure you into the domain. And then there's even simpler ones, like you are walking through the forest and you make camp for the night, and then the fog rolls in. And when you wake up in the morning, the trees don't look the same. You're not in the same place you were when you fell asleep. There. It's not hard to get into Ravenloft. Hmm. It never is. A DM has no trouble getting them there. The problem is getting out. I always loved the amount of tropes. I've played Ravenloft a lot, not just the first adventure, but other iterations of Ravenloft as they've come along. I I just love the combination of tropes. Like the first time I was reading stuff, like a vampire, cool castle, oh, it's all gothic. And then got to the other stuff, it's like, okay, we have the Vistani and werewolves. And you can get in there by mist coming in and getting you. It's like, this is pretty much every classic horror trope in one section. Um, So Um, I I love that that's still an option. Tracy alluded to something, too, that I wanted to bring up, and that is elements of humor and light. Mm. Uh, Curse of Strahd deals with this, um, but it's also in the original adventure. I think that in any tale of horror, any tale where the despair is so overwhelming, you have to have something to accent it. Uh, to allow people to breathe, let, let out that laugh so that you get the sort of the hills and valleys emotionally. Um, and we tried to preserve that with Curse of Strahd too. So you'll see there, just like in the original adventure, there are a few little funny bits in there. Uh, Tracy, uh, can you talk a little bit about the humor in the original adventure? Well, I've always felt like the humor is, is critical to any kind of horror setting. If it's, if it's relentlessly oppressive, you know, um, uh, then uh, you don't have the contrast. Uh, in fact, if you look at any horror film, even, even the modern, modern horror films, um, right before the bad scare, they almost always have a release. 
um, because it doesn't work otherwise. It's just it's just oppressively bad, and everybody's tense all the time. And when you finally get to the scare, it it just doesn't work. Um, the, a lot of the humor that uh, I, I had a lot of fun with the humor um, in Ravenloft because horror actually is such a great place um, for fun. Um, I always used to have a great deal of fun with uh, the Vistani. Mm-hmm. And uh, particularly Madame Eva, who I, I love to play with great relish. Um, uh, I was also, um, I've always felt, and, and, and I think that this is, um, I was just looking at this a moment ago, actually, uh, because I've, I've got my copy here in front of me. And, and how sad for the rest of you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but to be fair, that's um, like I don't have a copy, so that's pretty impressive. It'll be out in a few weeks. Don't worry. Yeah, it'll be out in a few weeks. <laughs> You'll really enjoy yours too. But, <laughs> but you can relish. That's that's part of the, the the you know the benefits of working with wizards. You get that copy early. Well, I was I was in particular I was I was looking at uh, at, at this page sixty eight, um, and that's got uh, Gertrude. Oh yes, Gertrude! What a marvelous character! <laughs> what a marvelous character Gertrude is! She is an absolutely clueless teenager. <laughs> awesome! In in the middle of the worst possible place, <laughs> and has no idea that she's like lunch. I mean, yes. you know, she's just she's been swept she, off her feet by this dark prince. Little does she know. Little does she know, and. and <laughs> By that we do mean little does she know. <laughs> Very little. <laughs> and I particularly love the look, uh, the the artwork that was done here of Gertrude. I can speak. A, yeah, I can speak a little bit about the artwork. Uh, Richard Witters, who was in, who sat in on all the creative meetings um, while Tracy was around, he uh, spearheaded the creation of the Curse of Strahd story bible, from which uh, Kate, the art director, sort of built off of. Um, but he he sort of. Um, in our conversations, Tracy, do you remember we talked about the looks in the eyes and yes. uh, how Barovians, because they've been trapped in this domain for so long, they have this sort of soullessness in their eyes. There's an mm. emptiness there or a vacuousness, like they have no soul. Right. Um, and so Richard and Kate worked really hard to preserve that uh, in the art. Yeah, I've seen the art up on the walls uh, for the last... Yeah. Uh, Juxtaposed with like the Vistani, who are these people, these travelers who can actually come and go from the domain. They're all very bright and they're lively and they're cheery mm-hmm. and the colors of their clothing are, are, are radiant, uh, whereas all the Barovians are drab. Um, yeah, yeah. So you guys and it's want... very much reflected in the palette here, which, uh, which is so amazing. I'm particularly pleased, I think, with the uh, portraiture of Strahd. Mm-hmm. It's uh, we we actually had considerable long discussions about what Strahd looked like, mm-hmm. and um, I think that uh, I, I, the full page portrait I, I love in particular. I think it's uh, it very much captures the essence of of who he who he was. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, tough to get arrogance and nobility and condescension and that sort of distant look of almost like a wolf staring at yes. you from across a forest glade, you know. And, and yet the artist here has, I think, captured it beautifully. Yeah. Not and and if I if I might say, not just the artist, but I think Chris and everybody 
was able to capture that uh, throughout the text. I, I couldn't be more pleased with it. My wife couldn't be more pleased with it. Uh, uh, and this was, you know, this was very much um, something that we had done together. Um, and feel very greatly honored, actually, by, uh, by the work that's been done in this new production. Well, thank you. Um, and uh, can you talk, you mentioned uh, uh, your wife, Laura, a, a few times. Can you talk a little bit about how she uh, was working with you in the original adventure? I know she's got an original author credit there as well, and then how she uh, also contributed uh, to this in Curse of Well, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, depending on how you gauge such things, um, she was the first uh, first uh, noted female game designer, mm-hmm. and uh, in, particularly in Ravenloft, um, she's very much responsible for the character. Um, she's the one who did the character sketches and, and detailed the character of uh, of Ravenloft, or, or excuse Strahd. me, of, of Strahd, and um, uh, the castle design was very much mine. I, uh, uh, I love, um, uh, I've always loved uh, designing uh, dungeon architecture that made some sense and uh, did quite a bit of research actually in this, into this particular design um, uh, and discovered almost by accident that um, if you make a dungeon that is mostly vertical in orientation as opposed mm-hmm. to horizontal, yeah. That players get lost. Very <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the brilliant things about Castle Ravenloft is a, it's a character in and of itself. B, once you're in it, it's very easy to become disoriented, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of its charm. I remember well, I, and, and Steve, uh, um, oh excuse me, Dave Sutherland, yeah, did the original uh, did the original uh, artwork for that. And that was the first time we had ever created a dungeon map that was in that kind of vertical Yes, that um, was mind-blowing. Mm. Mind-blowing as a kid picking yeah. up a D&D adventure and seeing that. That's very yeah, cool. Yeah, he, he very much wanted to be able to convey the vertical, verticalness of Ravenloft, and he's the one who came up with that. It was the first time it was ever used in, in a dungeon setting and uh, was absolutely brilliant pioneering work. You were going to say yeah. something, Trevor? I remember... Uh, I, I'm, I guess I'll say years ago when I was uh, talking with Chris about Castle Ravenloft stuff, he was talking then about the, the character that, that was the castle. Uh, um, do you want to go more into detail of that, like the character the castle has and, and what that means for the adventure? Well, it is, it is certainly the heart. Uh, it's, it's the main location, both in the original adventure and in Curse of Strahd. That's where your final showdown with Strahd's going to be. One of the great things about the way the castle sta- stands is... Um, you're, when you're dealing with Strahd, it's not a straight-up fight, mm-hmm. like in any classical D&D sense. You're not just confronting him once and putting him down. Strahd is very canny, and you're on his turf, and he uses these hit-and-run tactics to wear you down, and he looks for any chance possible to turn you against one another or to trap you in a part of the dungeon where you can't escape very easily. Uh, you feel like he and the castle are allies against you. Um, and you end up hating the castle <laughs> as much as you hate the vampire. And I think that's a testament to its design. Um, and we certainly wanted to preserve that. 
Well, you mentioned uh, uh, Castle Ravenloft is one of the showdown points, but there's also uh, a variable nature to Curse of Strahd where yes. certain items go. As in the original adventure, um, another, this is another thing that was new to this uh, and also mind-blowing, is that the adventure was built with a randomization element. Uh, in the original Ravenloft, you didn't know where you had to go to fight Strahd. The cards told you. Mm. Uh, you didn't. You didn't know where to find the Sun Sword and the Holy Icon of Ravenkind and the Tome of Strahd. The cards told you, and that's an element we preserved in Curse of Strahd as well. And for those who don't know, we've partnered with a company called Gale Force Nine to deliver uh, Taraka decks, um, and we've got the art for the Taraka deck cards in the Curse of Strahd product. Mm. Uh, we preserve that element because it does, it's great for replayability. Every time you play Ravenloft, it's a different experience because of this randomization element. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people, you know, have, obviously different groups will play through different adventures differently, but now yes. the same group could even conceivably, uh, uh, you know, pick up Curse right. of Strahd a year later and be like, oh, it's going to be completely different because of these different yeah. locations. And because we've expanded the borders and shown a little bit more of what's in the Valley of Barovia with Curse of Strahd, the cards will point you uh, to places outside the castle as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that will be a new experience for folks. And the cards are drawn by the character of Madame Ava, which uh, yes. uh, Tracy mentioned earlier. Exactly. and uh, One um, of my favorite characters. And, the, and, and I love the idea, actually, of introducing a physical element into play. Mm-hmm. I, I, love the, I love the tactile connection that it makes. And it, it also, you know... Uh, breaks down the barriers in performance, which uh, is another aspect of Ravenloft, I think, that was very important, and why, and why people still play it today. Yeah. And it's, uh, when we were talking about the cards and Richard was getting ready to commission things, uh, Tracy, we talked about different art styles for the cards, and one of the ideas that Tracy uh, put forward was, think of them almost like uh, wood carvings, um, kind of uh, reinforce not only the the visual themes of the setting, but also design the cards in a way that they felt like they were part of that era or that time. Uh, yeah, and all the illustrations. Yeah, and are they are absolutely gorgeous. The, the The illustrations are beautiful. I and I'm hoping that someone will remember me and send me a, a deck. Here. Oh yes, <laughs> you will, I'll send you a few. You will get a few. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that very yes. very much. And uh, the illustrator's name is Chuck Lokas. Chuck Lukash. Lukash. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's done fantastic work. I really, yeah. really enjoy that. Uh, yeah, it, it just about killed him, which is appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said Richard was a slave driver, uh, uh, I believe. Once, once you're on your 40th or 50th card, I can see how it might yeah. be a little daunting. And they're they're gorgeous. They're 100% gorgeous. They're really, We've been really playing around with them well. for, uh, like, yeah, at this point, we'll, yeah, this will be out. So we have a, a cool thing on our Twitter account. Uh, we switched over our Twitter account to be Madame Eva, and you can actually tweet at her uh, and get your fortune told. Um, so you'll see a lot of the art yes. from the cards there as well. It's, it's pretty cool. So yeah, she'll draw you one of the 54 Taroka cards mm, uh, yeah, so uh, with, with the illustrations that are in Curse of Strahd and uh, give you a little yeah. fortune. Yeah. So as a side benefit to having the deck, we were able to incorporate the cards into the design of the Curse of Strahd product, and I'm really happy with the way that turned out as well. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, great. Uh, well, well, for what it's worth, I, I, I just uh, – a couple of things, if I may, before sure. we're finished here. Um, for what it's worth, um, uh, Laura and I both um, very 
strongly and enthusiastically endorse Curse of Strahd. It's um, not only is it a, a beautiful, not only is it a beautiful book in its own right, but it is also a beautiful and faithful um, creation uh, and recreation and expansion of the work that we had done so many years ago and, and to, uh, for which we have such great feelings. We are, um, we are humbly grateful and indebted to Chris and his team for being so generous as to include us in that and uh, especially for them catching the same vision that we had and producing something uh, uh, of which we are, uh, for which we are grateful and of which we're incredibly proud. Um, Those are very kind words. Thank you, Tracy. This was a labor oh. of love for me. Dear, dearly I, heart. I can die happy I'm now, and then they can, they can raise me from the dead. <laughs> we well, found I'll our tell new you seriously, if, if I have my way, I'm uh, I'd just like everybody also to know what I'm doing currently, if I may. Absolutely, sure. Um, I just uh, I was recently uh, offered a position and accepted a position at um, the Void, uh, and you can look at that at thevoid.com. Um, we are. Uh, we produce limitless magic in a cinematic VR experience here. Um, when, when you go through our VR experience here at The Void, if you see the wall, you can touch the wall. If you see the stone bench, you can sit on it. You can take the, the torch from the wall and use it to light your way down the dungeon corridor. Um, and please come and take a look at our videos and see what it is we're doing here. I don't know as I've been as excited about anything um, for decades. It and is I'm truly a magical so, interactive experience. It really does. Look so awesome. excited to do this. And so if I, if I can have my way, we'll all be visiting Castle Ravenloft together. <laughs> but, uh, we'll walk the halls. Yes. Walking through cobwebs. That would be well, pretty Well, yes, amazing. actually, we do that now. <laughs> Excellent. I had no idea that Castle Ravenloft was actually, or, or even just the realm of Barovia was in Utah. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, uh, but apparently if, it is. If, if you happen to be anywhere in Salt Lake, let me know, and I'll be happy to show you the way. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Tracy. Uh, yes, definitely go check out thevoid.com. The videos they have on there are uh, uh, astounding. Uh, a lot of people are talking about VR and its possibilities right now, but I think what The Void is doing is... Uh, uh, Kind of different. It's mm -hmm. it's it's, yeah. it's there's a way there's more a realism yeah. to it. Yeah, the real world aspect of it's pretty cool. Great. Well, thank you so much, Tracy, and uh, uh, we'll hopefully talk to you more going forward. My pleasure, as always, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks. Uh, that was awesome. That hearing was about awesome. Uh, uh, Curse of Strahd and everything that's uh, put together in in, in making it a, a, a book. And what a great endorsement from Tracy Hager. Yeah, there's so, much, there's so much going on in the original Chris, uh, the original Strahd story and then the new Chris Strahd adventure. It's just like the story and the themes and everything that goes behind it. I, it's, it's always just, just impressive to hear and see all the work these guys put into it to make the story awesome. Not just, you know, a great adventure and all, all these cool things, great art, but like the story has meaning. The, the villain has meaning. It, like the whole setting has meaning and that's, that's always awesome to hear. Yeah, yeah. I definitely want to pick their brain even more about everything they mentioned. We could have talked for another hour. Oh, I, for I sure. I feel like. Uh, Easily. Uh, but and we I talked. Super excited for the adventure, everybody. If you if you enjoy Ravenloft, the I, I played a little bit of it when we were when we were testing it out. 
Uh, it's super awesome. If you like Ravenloft, you're, you're going to love this. And we talked about it a bit, but uh, go to uh, our Twitter, uh, official Twitter. Uh, yes. Again, all the art has been changed over to Madam Ava. Yes. And uh, if you retweet a uh, official tweet from that account that has the hashtag D&D fortune yep. in it, uh, you will receive a, a unique fortune just for you, uh, drawn from one of the 54 Taroka cards uh, illustrated by uh, Chuck Lukash. Yes. Uh, and you can do that every day if you want. Yeah, get it, a little daily horoscope. If you happen to get like 50 fortunes, that's cool, you know? Yeah. Like, you'll just be really busy because it's a lot of things you have to do to fulfill your life. I'm but starting to take it as life advice. Yeah, yeah. You know, really. Don't go into the zombie land. Yeah. You should not fight werewolves. Sweet. Yeah. I will not fight werewolves. Thanks. I, I thought I was going to, but now I'm like, no, yeah. not gonna. That's a really, it's a really cool account. It's also a great way just to check out uh, uh, all the card art. Yeah. Which will be, which will be awesome. Exactly. So that's uh, wizards underscore D&D. Um, I am at Greg Tito, so feel free to, oh, we should ask them for their Twitter handles before they left. Though. Oh, crap. Everybody always knows uh, at Chris Perkins D&D. Uh, yep, Chris Perkins D&D. Uh, and uh, of course, Trevor's at. I am uh, at Trevor underscore Watsy, and I also run the official account which we were talking about, which is uh, Wizards underscore D and D. Great. Um, and uh, of course, check out Dragon Plus. Uh, there's a new issue coming out where we'll be talking about all of Curse of Strahd. Lots of fun uh, things going on there. Some more awesome cover art for that one as well. As well, we are. Uh, uh, oh yes, and you can also follow Tracy Hickman at Tr Hickman. Uh, we get all the information about uh, what he's doing and then also, of course, with The Void. That sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, again, rate uh, this podcast if you like the conversation. We want to get more people like Chris and Tracy talking about the products that we're making. Uh, we'll be doing a lot more of that in 2016. And uh, I guess that's really it. Anything else you want to talk about, Trevor? No, just Ravenloft. Everybody go love Ravenloft. Everyone go get scared. <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.